All right, welcome to knockoff. You know what we're about to do. Everybody raise your right hand, okay? And if you are new to us or you weren't here last week, you have no clue what's going on, but just roll with it. It's cool. Ready? We're going to say the knockoff Pledge of Allegiance. It goes like this. And you're going you're gonna to repeat after me as, as we say this. I do solemnly swear. Very good. That during the duration of this series, I will resist the temptation to focus on the faults, the failures, the shortcomings of others. Rather, I choose to remain focused on me even when the faults of others are as plain as can be. So help me God. Okay, at ease. We are going to do this every Sunday. We're going to start with this because knockoff is a series about character. And in, in a series about character, this is what you and I do. We start to think about the people around us instead of ourselves. And so we declared last week that this is an elbow-free zone. That you cannot, el- you can't be like, are you listening? Are you hearing this? Because you have to remain focused on yourself. Because character is one of those things that, if I'm honest with myself, your lack of character is a much more bothersome and much more frustrated by your lack of character than my lack of character. And if you're honest with yourself, you're really, really frustrated with my lack of character, your spouse's lack of character, your boss's lack of character. And sometimes you're not as frustrated with your character, your lack of character. You're willing to give yourself a pass because you know the backstory. You know you had a bad day. You know how, whatever. And so we've decided if we're going to do, if we're going to have an effective series talking about character, we need to swear to one another that we will focus only on ourselves. Why? Because the only character that I can change is my own, and the only character that you can change is yours. I can choose to focus. You, You can't change my character. I can't change your failures. I can't change your shortcomings. I can't change your stupidity. I can't change your, you know, like I could go on and on about yours, but I can't do anything about it. So we're choosing to focus on us. So elbow, you got that? No elbows. Okay, here's another, here's another thing was, as I was thinking about this series. And this, what we're going to do this Sunday, I almost put at the end of the series, but I decided to move it up to the beginning because it's really important. Another thing that might happen that would keep us from getting the most out of this series, you know, one of them is elbows. The other, the other thing that might keep us from getting the most out of a series on character is the voices in our heads. And let me explain what I mean by that. As we talk about character, let's define what character is for a second. Character is the will to do what is right no matter what the cost. We talked about that last last week. Character is the will to do what is right, not when it's easy, not when it's convenient, not when the boss is looking. Or guys, you know how like you hear the garage door go up and you start washing dishes when your wife comes home? I've never done that, I swear. But like, you know, I've heard guys doing that. Like, like that's, 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 that's doing what is right when it benefits you. The character, true character, is the will to do what is right no matter what it costs you. And we also described it this way, that character kind of looks like this. Character is the, the, to be the same through and through. That what's on the outside is the same as what's on the inside. Uh, that if someone was to, if you were to cut, the, the, if you took someone with true character and you cut their week open, they would be the same person on Sunday morning 
at church as they would be at Wednesday afternoon, at work as they would be on Friday night, out with the guys. They would talk the same. They would hold the same values. They, all of those different things, they, they, they would be the same through and through. Lack of character is, looks like this. It's not, when we, when we lack character, it's not that we don't think character is important. It's just we have the will to do what is right at certain times, but when the rubber meets the road somewhere down in here, when achievement or progress or, or fulfillment comes along, we say, I, the, we run out of will. Does that make sense? Like our, our will to do what is right is overcome by our will to be with her or to go over there or to buy that. And so we, so we end up, yeah, I like character, but like sometimes, and, and, and we've all talked about what happens when we partner with people like this in life and they end up not being what they, what they said they were going to be, bad things happen. But here's, the, here's the, what I want to talk about today. I think this is really important. Well, as we're talking about character, we're going to be talking about a very ideal situation. We're going to talk about what, is, what it's like to be uh, the same through and through. And there's going to be times where you feel like we're reaching, because we are. It's, it's the, the conversation is so ideal that what's going to happen is you're going to hear voices in the back of your head saying, yeah, that, that's great, that character's like this, and the benefits of character, there's a lot of benefits. But let me remind you, that's not you. You know what I mean? Like maybe you've, you've felt this before. Maybe this is what makes it hard to go to church sometimes is because it talk, church talks about these ideals, the, the life that God has for us. But then we're confronted with our own failures as we're listening to them. We're like, yeah, the, the character, this life of character is for some people, but I don't think it's for me. And that's those voices in our head that I want to speak against today by simply saying this. Here's, here's, what, I, here's what I want us to know from today. Our failures in the past need not keep us from pursuing character in the future. Everybody get that? Our failures, our past, what, what's, what's right here, we're going to find today, needs not keep us from pursuing and becoming like this in the present and in the future. We, the, 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 there's, there's something about God. There's, God has set it up in such a way. I don't want to give too much away, but... We don't have our, our failures in the past. Yes, they have consequences moving forward that make it difficult to, to make the right decision to do what is right no matter what it costs. But they need not keep us from pursuing character in the future. My goal for today is to combat in you and me those voices in the back of our head that say we're inadequate, that fill us with shame, that fill us with guilt about what we've done in the past. That those, those voices that might keep us away from this is just the way life is and I'm not pursuing, I can't pursue character because of what I've done. Does that make sense? Everybody on the same page? Okay, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to pick up in the story of David and Saul. We started this story last week with Saul. We've, we pr focused primarily on Saul, who was the first king of the nation of Israel about a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. The second king was David, and we, we didn't really talk about David, and today we're going to talk a lot about David, and we're going to barely talk about Saul. But if you were here last time, you know, uh, and if you've studied these two dudes, David and Saul, before, if you've read First and Second Samuel and, and the accounts of, of them, it's an unbelievably detailed, fantastic story with twists and, and, and um, irony and all of this kind of stuff. But it's a great story. And if you've ever studied it, you know that like, as you read about Saul and David, they're meant to be compared. 
Like they're, they're, they're set up in the narrative in such a way that we're meant to look at Saul and say, I don't want to be, be like this. I want to be like this. I want to be like David. Um, for instance, generally speaking, Saul lacks character. David has character. While Saul demonstrates the will to do what is right when it's beneficial, when it, you know, when it makes him look good, David has the will to do what is right despite the cost. And so, you know, if you know his story, it costs him for many, many years the will to do what is right. Where Saul proves to be impatient, David proves to be extremely patient. When Saul takes matters into his own hands, David, time and time again, trusts God's promises, his timing, and his goodness. Yes, anybody familiar with the story? Can I get some head nods here? This is, the, this, this is David and Saul, thank you. Uh, it's a really good read. If you've never read that whole story, I was just talking to somebody last week about it. It's really, really, it's really, really rich. And maybe if you have studied it in the past, you've found yourself kind of identifying with either Saul or David and, and, and being inspired like, no, I want to be like David. You know, in, in, in a lot of times, if you're struggling with a bad boss or a bad authority, David is a phenomenal story to study and just come before and say, like, I, what would David do in my scenario at work to, you know, 3,000 years later? It won't be a bad conversation for you to have because it, we should read these and say, I want to be like David, not like Saul. But then yet, yet, if you know David's story, you know that there comes a point in time where Dar David's character runs out. And that's what we're going to talk about today. David's story is not squeaky, squeaky clean. And yet, there's, there's something about David. In fact, here, let, let me, before I get there, let, I want to you know, help us see it in a way. Fill, we're going to play a game here for a second. Fill in the blank, okay? When I say Thomas Edison and the light bulb, thank you, very, very good. When I say Neil Armstrong and the, the moon, the first guy to walk on the moon. When I say David and anybody else, anything else you'd put into that blank? Yeah, I, I remember I was thinking about this week. Is, is David known more for David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba? Isn't that interesting? It, it highlights a sad reality to our lives. We are remembered for our great... And if, you, if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, we'll explain it in here in a second. But one, David and Goliath, that's David's great, one of David's greatest achievements, Right? What does that highlight? Let's keep talking in church. What, you know, what, what, what one word things? Like courage, obviously, is highlighted in the David and Goliath story. What else? Faith. Yeah, absolutely. I can go you know, beat a giant with a stone. You know, like that, the, Goliath was the, the giant, and he threw the stone, and it like sunk into his head because you know, he had faith. Great story. What else? Bravery. It highlights all of these good things in David's character. What about David and Bathsheba? Again, for those of us who weren't in Sunday school, help them out. We're going to talk about it here in a second, but what one word things does that remind you of? Deceit. Lots of lies. What else? Lust. Murder. Sinfulness. Adultery. I was thinking about it this week. As bad as Saul was, and as we, you watch and read his story unfold over the decades of all this, this kind of calloused heart, he had nothing on what David did in just a couple months. Do you think about that? I mean, sure, yeah, David, he had a lot of anger issues. Yeah, sure, he was not afraid to use somebody to get what he wanted. 
He was, you know, like he wasn't, uh, uh, he was jealous of David, and so he tried to kill him, but he never actually got away with it. David got away with it. And yet, and this is, what, this is the point I want to make, when you look at these two guys' rap sheets side by side, they're both pretty bad. There's no hero in a sense. And yet, when we think about David and Saul, we look at one of them as a man of character, and one of them as a man of not. not and it has nothing to do with the amount of failure. You catch that? There's something else going on. What is the difference between these two men? I'm really glad you asked that, because that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Let's dive right in. I want to look at this passage. This is, um, actually, before we look at the passage, let's look, here's a little bit of David's timeline. So last week when he was anointed king, he was anointed king probably around the age of 15. Really young, so students like your age. He probably fought Goliath when he was a teenager as well. He might have been 16, 17 years old, which is pretty incredible to think about. Next, he, uh, he waits for many, many years and doesn't become king until he's 30 years old, if you're familiar with the story. True test of character throughout those years. Over the next two decades, once he becomes king, he really puts Israel on the map of Mesopotamia. Like Israel became a nation under David that people knew about. He united the tribes in the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. He teared down the places of idol worship, the high places, that, which is what Saul wasn't willing to do. He won a lot of wars. He went to war a lot of, a lot of people and brought peace that Israel had never, ever experienced before because they had these raging tribes around them that were constantly attacking them. He established a capital city, Jerusalem, which is interesting. Jerusalem is, means city of peace, actually. He built a palace. You know, he did a bunch of good king stuff. He, he, did, and he did what good leaders with good character are able to do, accomplish a lot, unite people. People are willing to follow him. That was David. His approval rating was through the roof. And we pick up today on our story, and he's about 50 years old at the time of this story. And it goes something like this. Some of you might remember it. It goes like this. In the spring, at the time when kings went off to war, David sent Joab, Joab was his like general, out with the king's men and the whole Israel army. Key detail. Everybody was going to war. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. And then the text gives this really interesting phrase. It says this, but David remained in Jerusalem. So in the springtime, which is when the kings go to, it says the kings go to war then. It's because the winter's over. It's because there's food around. It's because like, it's just more fun to fight in warm weather. I don't know. Like this is what, they, but it's true. In history, you look back that they didn't fight during the winters. David stayed home. Now, I'm not going to throw too many stones at this. 50 years old. He's obviously a really good, good leader. He's got these amazing generals underneath him that, that have their trust and his respect. Um, he's, he's been warring for over 20 years. He's been in wars since he, he was a teenager. And I think he might have just said, you know what? I'm going to stay home and smell the roses this spring. I want to I smell the roses in Jerusalem this year. I deserve this. We've, we've done a lot. I mean, isn't it good leadership, guys, you know? Have enough good quality, competent people under you. You don't even need to be there. It's a good sign of leadership. He stayed home. What happens next, I'll just summarize. One night he was walking around the, bal the balcony of the palace and he looked down and he saw a woman who was bathing. She was naked and she was beautiful, the text tells us. And David, 
instead of just kind of, whoop, well, probably wasn't supposed to see that. He, he kind of takes the next step. He, he gets a servant. He's like, who is that? Just, just a question. I'm wondering who that is. She's just pretty. The servant says, that's Bathsheba. And the, guys, this, the, the Bible is so rich. There's so much background and details in the story that are worth like, exploring. I can't even go into all of them. But it says, you're Bathsheba. This is Bathsheba. Uriah's wife, emphasis on wife, wife, wife. The, Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah the Hittite was no stranger. It wasn't like, oh, who's that guy? Uriah the Hittite was a dear friend of David's. He was one of David's mighty men. If you're familiar with his story, he had these guys that were just ballers. I mean, they're like guys that would go down into caves and kill lions. And they were known as, you know, like, you had to do something like that to become one of his mighty men. Uriah had done that. In other words, Uriah was one of the guys that made David who David was. You know what I mean? He was, he was one of the guys that helped him become a man of character. You know what happens next. He has Bathsheba brought in. He sleeps with her. One night stand. Sends her home. A couple weeks later, a couple months later, whatever, she sends news through a letter to David. I'm pregnant. Now he's in a pickle, right? Like that's a tough place to be. So David has this brilliant idea. He's like, I'm, I'm going to get, remember Uriah is one of his warriors, so obviously he's not in Jerusalem. He's like, I'm going to go get Uriah, bring him home. I'll just act like I'm talking to him about like, so how's the war going, Uriah? You know, like we'll see, we'll see, you know, how, how he's doing. We'll, we'll, we'll eat together. I haven't seen you in a long time. Just wanted to catch up. And then he says this to Uriah. Go ahead, next then David said to Uriah, you know, why don't you go down to your house and wash your feet? So Uriah left the place and a gift from the king was sent to him after him, which we can only assume was a gift basket with champagne and a, a Barry White album. This is the only option. Yeah, this. Yeah. David, it's in the text. It's in the Bible. Barry White was there. You know, like, like David, or Uriah, go home. You know, like you haven't seen your wife in a while, right? Doesn't work. Okay, that's enough. Thanks, Barry. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. I would have gone home. Why not? You sleep in your own bed? Be with your wife? Come on. Uriah is a man of character. We're going to see this even more here in a second. David gets a little frustrated. He's like, oh, this isn't working. So the next day, he, he tries again. Hey, Uriah, you know, come stay with me one more night. You know, come one night, more night. Let's eat, we'll drink, and then I'll send you back. So, he sent, so, so then it says this uh, in, in verse 11, 13. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. This is the second night. And David made him drunk. David, a man after God's own heart, a man of character, pulls one of his best buddies who had just slept with his wife to bring him home to make it look like the, 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 the child born in, his, in her belly was his. It's not working, so he gets him drunk. Which, by the way, doesn't make us think straight, does it? But I want, you, I want to make this note. This is a side note. But do you know the Bible never says that it's a sin to get drunk? The Bible says what's a sin is what you do when you're drunk. And that's why you should probably stay away from alcohol. It leads to debauchery, I think it says in Ephesians. You know, a word we use a lot. 
I got totally debauched last night, you know, like, like it just, you know, it doesn't happen, but like, but like, like, like the, the debauchery is the sin. And, and, and so David knows this. He's like, I want this man not to be thinking clearly so that he, his morals cave in a little bit and he'll go home and sleep with his wife and then I can be off the hook. Isn't this dirty? <laughs> but in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. And when David pressed on him about it, he's like, why didn't you go home? And he, David literally says, why didn't you go sleep with your wife? He's like, how in the world could I do that? When, when the Lord's army and the Lord's ark and, and my master's army and servants, they're out there fighting. I can't be at home. I, I want to be like, I'm a man of character. I'm the same here as I am there, and I want to be, you, you see this? This is where it gets real bad. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Joab, again, the general. Sent it with Uriah. In, in it, he wrote, and he know, so he, he catch the irony of this? Uriah is carrying his death sentence. And David knows that he won't open it to see what he said because he's a man of character. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest. And then I want you to withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So Joab does it. No questions asked. Sends word to, through a messenger back to David. Says, hey, this is what happened. This is what happened. We lost some men here. Oh, and by the way, Uriah, the Hittite, died. David sends a message back to Joab. You know what? You win some, you lose some, buddy. Just keep going. Be encouraged. Verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And to me, this is maybe the dirtiest thing of all. Because in other words, what, what this verse tells us is what David did was he just kept going like nothing happened at all. You know, everything got swept underneath the rug. He was able to take care of Uriah and nobody. I mean, lots of people know, but no one's going to hold him to it. Can you imagine what the rumor mill was like in the palace? Like this is David here. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, they would say probably. This is, this is our beloved David. He did what? No, he couldn't have done that. No, he did that. With that rumor mill that spilled over into Jerusalem and probably into the countryside, people knew because people talk. What we do in secret doesn't stay in secret. We know that. David knew that. Just kept going. It's almost as if, I was thinking about it, it's almost like if it happened on a Tuesday, like all of this you know, happened on a Tuesday, on Wednesday, David just went to his meetings like normal, like, hey guys, what's the midweek check-in? You know, where are we at with that war with the Philistines? And literally the advisors, the officials, or wherever, you know, they're like, um, yeah, uh, sure, the Philistines. Um, so things are good with the Philistines, David? Okay, good. Uh, how's the spring harvest going? You over there, how's the spring harvest going? Yeah, David, everything, everything's great with the spring harvest. I, I have a theory. Yes, I think that David lost a lot of influence when he slept with Bathsheba, when he had Uriah killed, when he took her to be his wife. 
But when he pretended that nothing had happened, I think he lost more influence. Again, the Bible doesn't back this up, but I have a theory that David lost more influence on Wednesday, the day that he just pretended like nothing ever happened and just went on with his life, you know, like everything's great. I think he lost more influence on Wednesday than he did on Tuesday doing all those bad things. That's just a theory I have. I have a theory that you and I, when we choose to, to not acknowledge when we mess up, to kind of gloss over it, to kind of pretend it doesn't happen, or to, to be in such a position where it's like, I just don't want to talk about that. Let's keep moving forward. I think when we do that, that mistake is almost as devastating and sometimes even more devastating than the initial mistake. Because it's, it's then, and, and you know who's most devastating too? You know who's most devastating too for David? His kids. His kids, they're like, when David did that, they know, they know the rumor mill, come on. When David did that and goes, just goes right back to work, takes Bathsheba as one of his wives, everything's great, peachy. They're like, oh, come on, Dad. You're David. You're a man of character. I've always looked up to you as a person of character. I think we have more to lose when we just gloss over things, when we're not real. One of the biggest mistakes that I see parents make, you know, I did youth ministry for many years, and not a lot, but every once in a while I get in a deep conversation with a kid, and they, they would tell me about, like, they, I love my parents, but they have this backstory that they won't even talk about. They have these secrets, like, I know a little bit, I know, like, the basics of it, but they're so embarrassed by it, they won't bring it up. And it breaks their heart because, it, like, it breaks my heart too because what, what we don't realize is, yes, it's hard to talk about this. But when we humbly come before our kids and say, I need to tell you a story. I messed up. And I don't want the same thing to happen to you. See, I think David lost a lot of influence on Wednesday. It says this, after, you know, he brings, him in, into the, brings her into his temple or his palace. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Okay, so all this, you know, like the narrator's like, all this is going on, this seems to be hunky-dory and everything. But just so you know, this displeased the Lord because this was a knockoff move on David's part. Chapter, it goes on to say, the Lord, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. And see, the Lord had to send somebody to David because he, he, he was all by himself. He was totally inaccessible. Like, like people were probably talking like, should we say something? And they're like, you say something. Do you see what happened to a guy that just accidentally got in his way? He's dead. Imagine if we purposely get in the way of this guy on a power trip. We're done for. So the Lord sends Nathan, who's a prophet, a man of God. We don't know much about him, but... You know, the Lord sent him. What did that conversation look like? You know, God comes to Nathan. Nathan, I need you to do something for me. Yeah, Lord, anything. I need you to talk to David. Okay, Lord, I said anything. I meant anything but that. You know, I, we don't know. The text doesn't talk about it much. But he, that had to be terrifying because guess what? Isolated people, people who distance themselves, who say, no, 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 we don't talk about that, or their lives are so secret, you don't even know what's going on. Those are tough people to talk to. 
Because I, that, that, and, and guess what? That's what you and I tend to do. Can we just all acknowledge that our first instinct when we get caught is to shrink back and just be like, to try to move on, to isolate ourselves? Can we just, can I get some head nods here that, that I'm not alone in this? That that's our tendency is to isolate ourselves? And just a question, do we make better or worse decisions when we're in isolation? <laughs> worse. So Nathan comes David, this next, guys, the, you got to read your Bibles. It's so good. This next portion, Nathan doesn't come to him and start talking about, so tell me the timeline here. Or, you know, like, what about Uriah? That was kind of strange. You know, he doesn't do any of that because that's not going to probably get him anywhere. He goes a completely different route. He says, okay, David, um, there was, there was in a certain town in Israel, let's just, you know, hypothetically speaking, there was, there was a, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had tons of herds of sheep and cattle. Now the poor man, he only had one little small ewe that he had purchased, and his, it was like a member of his family. He loved it. He ate out, that, that little sheep ate out of the same bowl as the man. And what happened is the rich man had somebody come along and, um, and, and had, had a guest in his house, and instead of taking one of his cattle or his sheep, one of the many, He's, he went to the poor man, stole his sheep, his one beloved sheep, slaughtered it, and fed it to his guests. Before Nathan could even finish the story, David butts in and, he's, and he says this. It says this, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, that man should die. <laughs> it's like, whoa, David, David, you don't die for stealing a sheep. Okay, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David is fired up right now. Why? <laughs> because your lack of character is way more grievous than my lack of character. Because, catch this, even in his darkest moments, even in the, 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 the darkest, deepest deception of his sin while he's living it, he still hasn't lost a moral barometer. And that's the same for us. And thank God, that's God's grace. When we push away and we say, no, I'm not going to live by these rules, we still see those rules as important, especially for other people. And while it's extremely hypo hypocritical for us to do that, and it makes us hard to be around, it also can be, in the end, the compass that brings us back home, like we're about to see for David. That's why we need to bear with one another in love. Even though I see all of these things in your life and you don't see them as clearly as I do, I need to be patient with you because it's the same thing for me. We need to bear with one another. We have this moral compass in there. So Nathan gets David all fired up on this righteous anger. And then he looks him square in the eye and he says, you are the man. Whew, I just got goosebumps. You are are the man. And all of a sudden, in this moment of clarity, David sees what he's done. And he replies, he says, I've sinned against God. I wish we could talk more about the details. If you want to know what happened next with David, it's not pretty. There's actually, it's really interesting if you read the whole First and Second Samuel kind of like all together, you'll see a shift in the prosperity of David's life. Because there's all sorts, God, here's, hear, hear me right, 
God forgave David for all of this, but the consequences of his actions still had inertia in his life. And he would suffer it for a long time. His house would be divided. Like I said, he lost all the moral influence with his kids. They started warring against each other. Even before he's dead, they're like, I'm king next. No, I'm king next. And we see this pivot point because of this lack of character. But what I want to focus on today, what I want us to spend the time, use the remainder of our time, this is the best use of our time, is actually a psalm. And again, the Bible is so incredible. We have this psalm, Psalm 51, maybe some of you know of it. And the psalm, at the beginning of the psalm, it's ascribed this way. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, meaning David wrote it, when the prophet of Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. The next lines we get to read could start with, Dear Diary. Today I got caught. How do you pursue character in the future in light of a broken past? That's about to get answered right here in David's psalm. David, if you want to pursue character in the future in light, and, and you have a broken past, this is what you need to do. You need to pull a David. And you need to pray this prayer. This is one of the greatest psalms ever. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Please, not your unfailing judgment. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Can we say that together? Just, just let's, let's say that together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And he goes on to say, according to your great compassion, Lord, blot out my transgressions. Make, make, you ever have had a prayer, it's like, I wish I could just make that disappear? That's what David's praying right now. Could I just go and redo the last couple months? Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me, Lord, I, I feel dirty. For I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me. Have you ever had times in your life? It's like all you can think of are the things you've done wrong or you, you, know, you did something you're like, oh, why did I do that? And that's what you're thinking about? That was, that's for David. That's is one of those moments. My transgressions are always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your, jur- in your, your verdict and justified when you judge. I wish we could t- talk more about this. This is, again, if you have time, go back and read Psalm 51 on your own. Here's how you're going to remember it. Area 51. Just think of Area 51, New Mexico, Psalm 51 in the Bible, okay? There's so, this is so rich. We could talk about it for so long, but we don't have time. This is where I want us to camp on this right here. Verse 16, you do not, you Lord, this is David talking to the Lord after he's gotten caught, okay? You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. Now, before we... Don't think sacrifice, like, like think church attendance. You don't delight in church attendance. Otherwise, I'd go to church all the time. That's what he's saying. You don't delight in penance. You know, like me trying to make up for all of these things that I've done wrong. Otherwise, I'd bring penance. David is saying, see, David, is, is sacrifice for him is his way of bringing what's most precious to him and giving that to God. That's all sacrifice was. It was creepy to us because it was unfamiliar. It was not creepy to them. 
It was a very real, very pra- like a practice that they, that of them being able to bring what they had best to God. My, he says, you, uh, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, otherwise I'd bring that. And the next line is so important because it answers the question, okay, so what does God require of us? If we want to be people of character, despite our past, this is what God requires of us. He says, my sacrifice, David says, my sacrifice, this is what I bring to you, O Lord, is a broken spirit. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says it again. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. You, you will not loathe. You will not reject, Lord. When, in other words, when we come before him and, bring, and our hearts are broken before him, Lord, I want so badly to be a person of character, but you know my heart, Lord. That's where the magic happens. We start to bring before God what he wanted in the first place. You could say it this way. God does not need perfect, but he can't work with proud. You know, like God doesn't need perfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows we're going to, but he, he has a difficult time working with pride. He needs what he needs. The only, and what we can give him is humility. God does not need perfect because of what Christ did on the cross. He no longer needs perfect. He's able to give us grace, but he can only give us that grace when we come before him and be healed by him, and then he'll start restoring our character to make us look like this as we start to become like his son who is perfect in character. So good. I love this stuff. I love our our failures. Don't, can you hear me? Our failures do not need to keep us from pursuing character in the present or the future. It just doesn't. Because you know what the difference between Saul and David was? The difference between Saul and David was Psalm 51. When he was faced with his failures, he was humble. And that's what we need to be. Here's another point, and then I'm going to wrap up. Even if you don't believe in God, like you're not sure if we have this relation, we're able to have a relationship where we can come before him and communicate with him, that's fine. Don't miss the fact that like God, God doesn't need perfect, but he can't work with proud. The people who are around us, the people who love us the most, it's the same thing. They're not expecting perfect. If it, you know, healthy people are not expecting perfect out of everybody else around them, but they have a hard time with proud. You know what I mean? When we come before them and we say, "Uh, yeah, I just need you to ignore that. We're going to pretend that didn't happen. What we're saying is, I can do whatever I want and you just need to roll with it. That's hard. We've all been around people like that. It's difficult, isn't it? We need humility. If nothing else, if you don't believe in the, the God portion of this, don't miss this in your relationships. It's so key. Humility is, is, is so key in healthy relationships. I need to end this way. I was praying this way. I, I feel compelled to end this way um, with what this means to me personally. In light of this message, I feel compelled to be open with some of my failures, two in particular. And I don't, 
I honestly don't know why these two, because I have more. But um, there's two failures I want to share with you today. One of them is when I get overwhelmed, I tend to retreat and freeze. And as you can imagine, starting something new, if you've ever done business startup or anything like that, it's stressful. There's lots of things to think about. And there's weeks that I'm just, it's like all, I've got so many things to think about that I retreat and I freeze. And I can remember days, whole days where I would sit in that office and nobody knew this, but I would just sit there and play games and surf on the internet. And which made the next day even worse because like all that stuff didn't go away. But first, I, I really, I, I want you to know that, that my, my failure as, as your leader, like that's my thing. The other thing that I'm supposed to share with you um, is something that Christy didn't know until just this week. A few years back, I walked into a fly shop and knowingly purchased a fly box that was chucked full of about $100 worth of flies. The clerk didn't know that, and I purchased this fly box for like $10 and walked out and stole those flies. Um, and I, I, want, I want you to know, I, I felt very compelled that I need to make restitution for that. And so in the coming weeks, um, you see these three dots on my hand here? The, uh, you will see these three dots on my hand, actually for a couple weeks, because I'm going out of town today. This is very convenient. So I'm not going to be able to, and I've got to track somebody down in order to pay, and I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to pay back double what I stole. Um, but you'll see these dots on my hand, and feel free to talk to me about it. I, I'm making it public, and I've, I've decided that if somebody asks me about it, I'm going to be very honest with what this means. But it's a reminder to me, and I'll keep these fresh until I've made restitution. I'm not up here because I'm this. I'm up here, and, uh, but I want you to know as long as I'm up here and you're listening to me, I will do my best to try not to be a knockoff. And when I do, I'll be honest with it. Deal? Because God doesn't need perfect. Praise God. But he works with humble. I want to challenge you today. We're going to hand out Sharpies. Um, as soon as I'm done preaching, the ushers are going to hand out Sharpies to you. Take one. Don't feel like you, you need to do anything with it. But as we worship, there's a reason we do songs at the end. It's so that we can respond to the truth that we find in Scripture. Um, I'd like you to, uh, if, if you'll do this with me, if there's something that God's laying on your heart, would you put three dots on your hand and, and commit to doing whatever God asks you to do? Maybe it's a conversation with your kids. Maybe it's coming clean with something that nobody knows about or certain people should know about and they don't. I don't know what it is for you. Let the Spirit speak to you. That's what He does. Would you be willing to put three dots on your, ha on your hand with me? And, and, and if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you before you leave because we're going to pray that prayer in a second that we need wisdom and we need courage to do this. I'd love to pray with you afterwards or grab somebody beside you and, and feel free to, to pray with them at the end of service. But at the very least, if, if you put dots in your hand, can you just let me know so that I can be praying for you?
before you leave, just give me like a fist bump. Uh, I'd love to know. Let's do this together. It, let's not be isolated. It's not smart. Let's, let's choose to be people of character even though it's hard, even though what we, we don't love what's inside. And I think God will honor that in many, many ways, in ways we don't even know. Let me say a prayer for us. Let's, in fact, let's, just, let's, let's pray the prayer. I'll, I'll have you pray it out loud with me. It goes like this. I'll say it first. Lord, give us, give me, Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. Say that with me. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. We need it, Lord. Thanks for being a gracious God. That you aren't some God out there that's just with cosmic scales just counting every single thing we do wrong against everything we do right, hoping that we fail. Lord, it couldn't be more opposite. That in the end, what it comes down to is it's the state of our hearts, not what we've done. We can still be people, men and women, after your own heart like David was. But we need to pray Psalm 51 prayers. Some of us need to do that this morning. I pray that you would help us do that. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. In your name, amen.